Welcome to the Inside Eco Devo podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thurman. And on this episode, we're going to be provided an economic update from DED's Director of Economic Research, Jeff Pinkerton. Jeff, sir, welcome back to the show. Eric, thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. Yeah. A lot going on in the economic world. <laughs> a lot sure. of stuff that we're going to dive into. But let's kind of just start high level. What are you seeing in the current economic data? I know that's a very open-ended question. There's a lot there, but maybe just kind of bullet point it for us and we kind of dive down a little bit deeper as we go on in our discussion. Sure. Well, yeah, there's a lot going on in the economy right now, but I think if I were to sum things up in one word right now, it would be moderation. We're starting to see things moderating a little bit, which is a good thing because things have been pretty turbulent in in the previous months. I'll start with the big uh, question on the table is inflation. That spiked about 9% about a year ago. It's come down considerably since then. It's moderated. It's still not where the Fed wants it to be. Uh, we're still seeing inflation up about 3% over the year, year over year, which is too high. And people feel that when they go to the grocery store, the, the gas station, uh, although those gas prices start to come back down. And that just permeates the entire economy. Another area of moderation that we're hopeful for is interest rates. To fight inflation, the Fed... Uh, hiked up interest rates from essentially zero to about 5%. And that has a huge impact on the economy from things like uh, mortgages. Mortgage rates are now over 8%. And that's really put, uh, kind of froze that, what was a, a white hot part of the economy, the housing sector, it's really kind of frozen that. So what we're hoping for is some moderation there. Uh, most economists believe that the Fed's probably had their last rate hike over for this cycle to fight inflation. They think inflation is on its way down and we're starting to see the Fed may just hold back a little bit and let to see if the, the effects of their previous hikes may continue to see inflation uh, drop. So we're hoping to see moderation there. The Fed was also hoping to see when they raised interest rates, you know, put the brakes on the economy a little bit. The wages and employment, consumer spending were all very, very high. We're starting to see moderation there as well. Employment is starting to pull back. It's still pretty robust. Pretty good time to be out looking for, for a job right now. Jobs are plentiful. But uh, we're not creating as many jobs as we were, say, a year ago. So the Fed's efforts to to cool the economy on that front seem to be taking effect, finally. One area that, curiously, that hasn't really moderated yet is consumer spending and and retail sales. You know, that's an area that we look as kind of the canary in the coal mine. When the consumer starts to pull back and think that the economy may be turning a little bit, you're going to see it in their actions and in their retail sales. And retail sales continue to really climb. So that's one sector that hasn't really moderated yet. But overall, I think we're getting a sense of things are starting maybe to return to normal, which is a good thing because things have been anything but that over the last year and a half, two years. Give us a a snapshot of the other side of this change. A lot of this moderation change is good, but things like high interest rates, and we were kind of discussing this before we started rolling, is, you know, high interest rates on something like a high interest savings account or CD account or something where somebody's making money on top of that. Like, what's the other side of those changes from those positive aspects? Yeah, well, if you are a, a lender at, at a higher rate, you're getting a higher return. So banks are seeing having to offer higher rates for individuals to put, you know, dollars into a, a CD or a savings account. And, you know, that's probably a pretty good place to park your money if you're a consumer to get three, four, five percent when you were essentially getting one or maybe less than one in previous years. So there is that that positive side to it. But on the flip side, on the bigger picture, I think broader economy money is kind of like the, the, the blood flowing through the economy, that through the body. That, that's what it makes the economy work. 
And if it's more expensive, it's more difficult to get, can slow things down. So I think that's the biggest concern is if we raise interest rates too high, businesses are going to say, okay, we're just going to sit out for a little while. We're going to delay the next expansion. And then you see start to see some, some economic slowdowns. That hasn't really happened yet. But I think the fear is that if interest rates get too high, that could put the brakes on and make businesses and individuals make different decisions because, okay, we're just going to wait a little bit and see – if these rates don't come down in the near future. So it's, there's a positive side to it, but from the, from the bigger picture, it can muddy the economy quite a bit. So Missouri's economy at a glance, I know we probably similar to what you were just talking about. Where are we currently looking at in Missouri? Doing really well. We talked about employment growth nationally. We're having that happen here. We're over 31,000 jobs so far this year in Missouri. That's a pretty good solid year. It's down from a very, very robust year last year. We're seeing that growth in, in a lot of different sectors, manufacturing. We're starting to see the recovery from in the leisure and hospitality sector, the healthcare sector. That those are areas that really got hit hard during the pandemic, but those are kind of leading the charge on the on the way back. But overall, economic growth in Missouri has, has been uh, really pretty solid here over the last four or five years, and that's a good. I think we rebounded. We we handled the the pandemic recession really well, and we've rebounded really strongly. And particularly in areas like manufacturing, which we can talk about a little bit later. It's been a real strength for us uh, coming out of that. I might be jumping ahead a little bit here, but since you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times, unemployment rates and then the number of jobs we've created, is opening up too many jobs like a bad thing? Like if we had, and I'm just going to throw out some uh, random numbers here. I'm sure these are not the the right numbers, but like, let's say we had like 500,000 jobs created, but, you know, only 15% of those are actually filled. You know, a lot of, you know, we have open jobs, but nobody's filling them. So is having too many open jobs, like, it's nice to throw that number out there, but is that bad? It's a challenge. You know, when you look at economic history, there's ebbs and flows, and sometimes the ball's on the the employer's court, and sometimes it's in the employee's uh, side. And right now, it's certainly on the the worker's side. There are more openings out there in this country than there are unemployed people to take them. So, you know, there's not always a a one-to-one match for the type of job that you're looking for and things like that. But overall, there's, employers will tell us there's more job openings than there are unemployed people. So that's a, a big thing. And that's a challenge for workers, you know, we talk about the flip side of things. We have a very low unemployment rate right now. I think it's 3.7%. It's very low. And that portends a, a good market for workers to go out and find jobs. Well, the flip side of that is it's a pretty tight labor market for an employer to find workers when it's that low. Now, fortunately for us, we're not alone in a low unemployment rate. It's pretty low nationwide. So every state's really kind of dealing with this issue. But you're touching on what I think is probably going to be the economic development issue going forward in the next decade or so is, is our workforce. You know, we're just not having the population growth we once had as, as a nation and as a state. Our population is growing, but not as, as rapidly. So we're not just getting a, an influx of, of people all the time. We have a, the largest generation in, in our nation, the, the, the baby boomers are starting to phase out of work and start to retire. So it's difficult for the smaller generations behind it to to backfill some of those jobs. So what we have right now, demographics is driving a shortage of workers in the workforce. So I think businesses are going to have to be creative and going to have to wrestle with this labor shortage for, for, for uh, decades to come, uh, just really driven by demographics. So we have to make sure we get you know, the skills, the population that we do have, have the skills they need for the jobs that, uh, that are available to them. We we'll have to be a little bit more creative with that. It's just not going to be a numbers game. 
and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, because uh, I probably am, because <laughs> I'm not the expert on this, but I would imagine the unemployment rate, there's probably a healthy balance where you don't obviously don't want it too high, but you probably also don't want it too low either. Like where, right. where is the sweet spot? Yeah, economists term, use the term the, that full employment. And to be honest with you, Eric, it's kind of bounced around over the years. I'm, when I, I'm old enough that, it, you know, if it was below 4 or 5%, 4%, I'll say, people have thought, well, that's essentially full employment. 4%, you got some people who are just bouncing around between jobs. They may be current, temporarily unemployed, but essentially that's full employment. Well, we've been below, quote unquote, full employment for quite a while now. That just really, I think, tells us that the labor market is, is really tight. The worker is valued, they're harder to find, and employers are going to have to be creative to hold on to the workers that they do have and attract new ones into their workplace. But it's low, and I think that's just going to be the norm. I think we're going to be beyond full employment for for, for, for quite a while. And does creating new jobs when people may or may not be looking for work, does that factor into that unemployment rate? Like if a big business landed here and they, you know, 2,000 new jobs, but then people are still not really looking for a job. Does that disparity of number of open jobs versus number of people, is that impacting our unemployment rate number? No, that wouldn't impact because the unemployment rate is really a measure of your population. So how many people are in the workforce who are in the workforce means you are employed or actively looking for work. What share of them do not have a job? That's your unemployment rate. So if a business has thousands of openings that they can't fill, that doesn't really have an impact on your unemployment rate, but it does, again, get to this, because what you described is happening throughout the state and throughout the nation. Employers have openings that they just can't fill because they're just, you know, having a hard time finding that, that population right now. So how are we, and we as in Missouri, how are we faring compared to our bordering states? Much better than we did. And um, I always like to look in the past and see how we've, we've done. And so I'm, I'm comparing this recovery from the pandemic recession to our recovery from the Great Recession, which was not very good for, for Missouri back in 2010. Of the 13 peer states that we compare ourselves to, we were we were at the bottom of the list in terms of how our state recovered in terms of GDP growth. Employment growth was pretty pretty slow. It just didn't happen for us back in 2010, 2011 as, as the economy recovered. Doing much better now. We look at 13 peer states. We're fifth, I believe, in GDP growth over the last five years. So that's going back prior to the pandemic, but just gives us a a recent trend. Fifth, also in employment growth. So we're doing much, much better compared to our uh, neighboring states in terms of of growth. And that's, we have a a model or saying here at DED, we want to be best in the Midwest. So uh, we're not there yet, but fifth is better than 13th. Right. (laughs) Any kind of data or anything showcasing why we're doing better? Is there some parameters that like we're doing better because Missouri's making these choices versus the choices that our neighboring states made? You know, I've looked into this uh, quite a bit, and I, I think what's different this time is this, this has more to do with 2010 than it does right now. But one of the areas that we looked at in 2010, this was the, the era of we were worried about as a nation, um, our manufacturing sector, particularly automobiles. A lot of our neighboring states really did get dollars to help support their the statewide automobile manufacturing in Missouri, for whatever reason, we did not see that spike. Uh, so places like Ohio, we compare ourselves to Indiana, Michigan, that's where they got a lot of those funds to make sure the auto industry was, was strong and growing. And you see that in the numbers. We didn't see that boost in our auto industry numbers. This go around, what I think is really driving us is Missouri's economy is so diverse. I mean, it's hard to say 
some of those states that I mentioned, you think manufacturing. We're a very strong manufacturing state, but we're, we're good at so many other things. We have so many different industries that are, are going well for us. I think it's kind of lifted us up to the fifth where we are right now. I think our diversity there is a strength, and that's really what's carried us because this recovery up to this point has been diverse as well. It's been across the board. We're recovering the jobs that we lost during the pandemic. And then right now we're, you know, we're moving ahead, but all those industries are really growing and they're growing in Missouri. So it's not, you know, I think the fact that we are solid in just about every industry is good news for us because we're going to continue to ride that diversity, economic diversity into the future. Kind of switching gears a little bit away from that. Something you were talking about earlier is the consumer spending and how it's been kind of steady. Is that surprising due to for so long now we've heard that a recession is looming? It seems like maybe not so much now, but what would spur or keep consumer spending where it's at if a recession was looming? It has been surprising to me, but then again, if you think about it, maybe it shouldn't be that surprising. The surprising part is, you know, we've been told for a better part of a year, year and a half that recession is, is coming. And if you would have told any economist two years ago that the inflation rate would get up to nine and slowly start its way down and, and interest rates would be at 5%, they would have bet the farm that, yeah, we would have dipped into a recession at some point here. That hasn't happened. The consumer is a big reason why that hasn't happened because they're out there and they're continuing to shop and, and, and drive the economy. 60 over you know, about two thirds of our economy is based on consumption. So people going out and, and buying their day-to-day things and that, that has not slowed. In fact, it's accelerated. The part now that you look at it that's not surprising is consumers are also workers oftentimes. And we look at wages. Wage growth has been really strong uh, over the last few years, starting to, to moderate again a little bit. But the consumer feels pretty darn good about where they were wage-wise versus a couple of years ago. And the unemployment rate's still really low. They probably feel pretty confident that their job is secure. They don't feel that they need to maybe stash stuff away for a rainy day. When you put things under the mattress, you're taking dollars out of the economy. That helps accelerate a recession. They're not necessarily doing that because they feel that their employment situation is pretty strong. So given those factors, it's perhaps not surprising that the consumer feels pretty robust. And I've read some articles that there's been some pent up demand on the on the services side and the vacation side. You know, for a couple of years, we didn't go out and, and participate in that part of the economy. And people got antsy and got the itch and they went out and did that and, and they're continue to do that. So the consumer, when they feel strong about their employment situation, their income situation, they'll keep spending. That kind of turns the wheel for because employers, businesses need to meet that demand. That just more demand for more workers and that just kind of keeps that flywheel spinning in the way, you know, a strong economy should operate. The wage growth that we saw helping to have that financial security, people are spending more. If we're heading into like moderation on those growth, if wage growth is going to stagnate or slow, is that going to have an impact in this area? And that has started to come down. So we're waiting to see if that's going to have an impact on retail spending. It hasn't yet. They're still doing that. I think what would probably have the biggest impact on the consumer is if they did think job cuts were were coming or, you know, the employment picture wasn't as rosy as it was, then that's when you start to think, okay, maybe we should just sock something away for a rainy day and let's not go out three times a week. Let's just go out once a week and and things like that. Those type of things in mass can, can really limit the economy. But again, 
every month we look at this data coming out and we're trying to see, okay, is this, is this going to be the first sign of that recession? And the employment numbers always come in higher than we, we expect. The retail numbers come in higher than we expect. There's just a lot of resilience out there. Even though we're seeing some moderation, this year is more moderate than, than last year. It's been pretty consistent. And I don't know what's going to tip those scales necessarily, Eric. Speaking about a recession, is a recession still looming? Or are we kind of out of the woods? Is it looking better? Is the sun going to shine here? <laughs> <laughs> well, as sure as I say one thing, the, the opposite is going to happen. But I'm going to risk that <laughs> and say I think most economists would agree with me that the, the chances of a recession are now far below 50. And I think a lot of folks were probably thinking it was likely maybe 50-50. Now I think we're thinking it's it's less than, you know, maybe 30% or so. I'll just put a, put a figure on it over the next year or so. Just because of that consistency and that persistence that we've seen in the economy and the Fed's efforts to raise interest rates to, to curb in, inflation seem to be working. It took a while. And so I think the biggest threat to a recession would be if the Fed went a little bit too far and raised interest rates even further thus making businesses say, all right, we're, we've been able to continue to grow and, and, and expand our businesses, but you know it's just getting a little bit too costly now with these high interest rates. We're going to pull back. That could be effect that in mass would, would cause a, a recession. But the consensus is right now that the Fed may have hopefully had their last rate hike during this cycle. Things are starting to work. Inflation is starting to come back down. They may just let that go for a while. And one if I can call it a, a negative impact of, of this method or this rate that we're going is there's probably not going to be anything real dramatic that's going to say if a recession did happen, the Fed might go out there and be more active in on lowering interest rates to get the economy moving again. What we might have is just another year or so where the economy continues to move along strongly, but probably not going to see much improvement on the like the mortgage rates and that housing market because things are just going to are very, very slowly these things can take time. People talk about the the hard landing of the economy, which would be a recession. A soft landing is something that we're hoping that happens, that we get inflation down to a manageable level without driving the economy into a recession. We think we're headed that way, but it's just a really slow landing. And it may take another year or more before we get some meaningful change in like those inflation rates that could spur more economic growth. How does that translate to like everyday purchases of goods and services? Like somebody goes to buy a gallon of milk since we're kind of coming out of the woods, so to speak, is, are we going to see prices in that regard lower? I think in most items, the trend is downward. And when we talk about inflation, there's the headline inflation, which everyone looks at, which was 3.7%, which is still too high. And that includes everything from gasoline, food, other items that we buy. The, the Fed will look at core inflation rate, which takes out food and gasoline, not because those aren't important, because they can fluctuate so widely. The Fed is really looking at so those core items and do they increase in price over time? And often the key driver for that increase in price is, is wages, like in the service sector, wages you're paying your manufacturers for some goods. If wages are driving inflation, that's a little bit more of a concern for the Fed. That's why they're trying to limit employment growth. That trend has been pretty steadily down. So we could see even gas prices are on their way down. Thankfully, if that were to reverse itself and we saw a spike, that probably wouldn't change the Fed's view because the core inflation rate is is on its way down. Just mentioning wages and jobs and stuff. What is the data saying about the landscape of work right now? I know around the pandemic, remote work was a big thing. 
broadband is heavily being expanded across the state. Every year we live in a more connected, you know, global economy. Mm-hmm. How do these factors kind of play into that where people can, I can work anywhere from my right. home. I, you know, I don't have to drive 30 minutes or I don't have to go down to the local shop or whatever. Work is anywhere and everywhere. How do these kind of factors impact the landscape of work in, in Missouri? Great question. I, I think we'll have to talk about there. Remote work certainly had a, has had an impact. Right now, according to the Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics, about 12% of folks are working remote pretty much full-time. A quarter of folks are working in kind of a hybrid role. And of course, there are jobs where you can't turn a wrench or swing a hammer uh, remotely. So certain industries that it doesn't exist. But it's still, I think, relatively small. It's something that workers who work in an industry where it's possible are wanting. And right now we talked about how the ball is kind of in the employee's court and they're demanding that and employers are giving that. Some employers have been a little bit more pushy to get people back into the office. There's benefits clearly to having everybody there and meetings and some of the connections that you can make that you can't do on a WebEx or a Zoom call. There's a benefit there. Side effects. Our uh, downtown areas have kind of struggled a little bit in recovering because a certain portion of those jobs that are in, in a downtown area, a lot of those jobs are amenable to working from home. And so they have significant shares of their population, workforce population that haven't returned to work. And there's there's restaurants and parking lots and entertainment facilities down there that kind of depend on that workforce coming in every day. So uh, we've made major investments in downtown St. Louis and downtown Kansas City. And so that's a bit of a, con- a concern how that's going to play out in the future. And I think bigger picture where people can work uh, anywhere is a real benefit to a state like Missouri because what we're starting to see for the first time since I've been looking at this is net domestic migration into into the state of Missouri. Net domestic migration is really just how many people leave Missouri for another state versus how many people move from another state into Missouri. And that's positive inflow for Missouri for the first time in a long time over the last few years. I think that's a real dynamic trend. And I think it's directly attributable to people who maybe live in places that are the quality of life is not what they want. Cost of living perhaps is way too high and they can go to a place that's affordable, that has great amenities, and they can still do their job uh, remotely. Uh, Missouri is, is a great option for that. So I think that's directly leading to reversal in our population growth. We mentioned earlier that's we're not one of the fastest growing states, but we th- this is a, maybe a turning in the right direction where we can improve that. But I think all of that is really attributable to the options that people have to work anywhere they want. And I think that's a positive one for Missouri right there. And the expansion of broadband that's happening right now, it's a big mega effort, I'm sure helps in that. Alongside that, because, you know, for remote work, you have to have an internet connection. So that kind of goes hand in hand with broadband. Does somebody who like lives in Missouri, but they remote work internationally. So it's like somebody lives in Missouri, but they technically work for a company that's based in like Spain or something. Does that factor into the employment, unemployment thing, or is a job a job as long as you're living in Missouri and you're employed, it doesn't matter where that job is? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, from a statistics point, the data that we look at, you're working in Missouri, so you're going to be counted as as working in, in Missouri. Now, I would imagine, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know if, if like, do those entities have to pay unemployment uh, or not. I don't know how that to works to works, to be honest with you. I think that's probably something that 
hasn't gotten on my radar, but it's something that should be because it's it's coming more and more common. We have to look into that. Yeah, sorry to throw you through a loop there, but I would, I would just I was was thinking about that. I was like, how question. how does that that factor in? Because you know you hear global economy, and every year we're a little bit more connected. So yeah. uh, okay, something to to look at in a future episode, hopefully. There you go. So we'll pivot a little bit, and we'll just kind of talk about industries. Any data on which industries are growing really well? in Missouri and anything talking about which industries are up and coming? Sure. I really want to talk about manufacturing in Missouri. That's something that's always been a strength for us. We've mentioned automobile manufacturing, uh, defense manufacturing, particularly in the St. Louis area, food, appliances, all throughout the state. We have a lot of manufacturing strengths. Our manufacturing employment's grown about 4% since early 2020. That's far outpacing the national increase. That's a real good sign for us. Obviously, it's a key industry, and, and we're far outpacing the U.S. in that trend. But right now, that's particularly important because it's not going to be a temporary trend. If you were to look at, I think one of the most under underreported stories right now is the amount of manufacturing infrastructure that's going on in this country right now. If you were to look at a chart of manufacturing construction in this country, it it looks it's that hockey stick chart. You know, it's pretty flat, and then it just really sharp angle going upwards. A lot of federal programs incentivized manufacturing to look at the United States. Things like the CHIPS Act are instrumental in that, bringing some of those more sensitive manufacturing opportunities back to the U.S. And we're seeing real bricks and mortar expansion because of that. And the fact that Missouri is a great place to be a manufacturer, it's a central location, moderate cost of living, skilled workforce, large metros, Rural areas, you got it all right here. Manufacturing is going to find Missouri a great place to locate. They are finding that. And this is going to be a trend that's going to be with us for a while because of that investment that businesses are making in U.S. manufacturing facilities. We're going to get our share of that. So I'm really bullish on on Missouri's manufacturing industry. It's been very strong, and I think it's going to continue to be really strong going forward. Any indicators on, on why manufacturing is in such a boom? I think the incentives from things like the CHIPS Act and others – are kind of behind that and driving that in the nation. And I think, again, Missouri's benefits because it, it's got that manufacturing infrastructure already here, and it's very diverse manufacturing as well. I mean, it's not just one type of manufacturing. We do a little bit of everything here in Missouri. So I think they're finding those factors plus skilled workforce, moderate cost of living as real benefits to identifying Missouri as a place to build manufacturing. Is part of that also reinvigorating manufacturing because it seemed like you know way back in the day the U.S. was a manufacturer and then a lot of things were outsourced so is the mentality to get back to the powerhouse of manufacturing that that the U.S. was at one point in time? I think the pandemic kind of showed us some vulnerabilities in the global economy and I'm I'm still a believer in, in the global economy and our place in it and you know the governor was recently in Germany and Japan are making those connections, and, and I think that's great. But we did find that supply chain, that global supply chain, is vulnerable, and some of those things are, are can be pretty sensitive to our our whole economy. So it makes some sense to reshore some of those things back in the U.S. So yeah, I think I think that's kind of been a, a key driver as well. Is just you know from a security defense type of perspective, but you know another perspective. You know, those are great jobs. They pay a good wage. And the cost advantage that maybe a country like China used to have on us maybe has dissipated a little bit. And now we're a little bit more appealing a place to go. And manufacturing also is a little more 
skillful perhaps than it was 30, 40 years ago. I mean, you go into a manufacturing facility today, there's a lot of computer screens and a lot of robots and a lot of people programming and things like that. Finding that skilled workforce to work in that type of environment, I think something that uh, as a nation we excel at and and it's Missouri as well. Any other industries beyond manufacturing that look to be a pretty good investment or looks like it's going to be good for the economy? Yeah, I think we have just some pockets here. Our our larger metros tend to specialize in some of those professional technical jobs, you know, computer programming types of of, of jobs. Kansas City has been a leader in that, and I think we'll continue to play a role in that. Finance, insurance, uh, St. Louis is actually a a leader in in those sectors as well. Um, And that's an industry that's, that's growing quite a bit. So again, Missouri's economy is so, so diverse. We have if not overall in the state, are we a leader? There's a part of the state that's probably a leader in that. But I keep an eye on, on those two. I, th- I think a little bit more kind of speaks to our economic diversity a little bit. You know, we talk about manufacturing quite a bit. You know, we've got the agricultural background. But, you know, I think those two sectors and some of our larger metros can also be a driver. I also will mention, you know, the mining sector. You know, we don't talk about that much in this state, but that's a huge sector in the southeast and uh, one that has potential to grow with some of these tech centers that we've talked about. I think just earlier this week was announced that Rala is going to be a tech hub for critical minerals. And that could have a big impact on that sector, southeast part of our state that really excels. It has a, is blessed with a, a lot of critical minerals under, under the ground there. And it's got a large mining sector that's already there. A lot of potential, I think, for that one as well. And I believe that goes hand in hand with the Chips Act in some way because you need those critical minerals to make those kinds of things. What about AI? That's a big thing that's kind of booming. It's being talked about. It's being kind of, you know, uh, incorporated more and more. Uh, Any kind of indicators on how that's going to impact jobs or sectors and maybe how it's going to influence change and, and whatnot? I get this question quite a bit. So I, I asked the source, I asked chat, chat GPT the other day. So what <laughs> industries are you uh, going to take over? Uh, and the, the list was long, but if you think about it, you know, it, it kind of went into AI and automation. There's really not an industry that isn't probably going to be impacted by AI to, to some extent. So we really kind of look at, so what types of jobs are maybe perhaps more vulnerable and what kind of comes up are some of the repetitive jobs, ones that are, you know, there's kind of a, a script to follow, you know, those types of jobs, you know, data entry, things like that. Some market research, economic research came up was one that was, was vulnerable, which kind of scared me a little bit. I hope it's still a decade or so off. It's going to be, you know, pretty pervasive, I think, industry-wise. If you're talking about being a person who's, well, so any technology that, that comes out has that impact. I mean, it can destroy jobs in a certain sector or a certain type of job, but it will create others down the road. So I think to kind of insulate oneself from the impact of AI is really know all aspects of your industry, of your type of occupation, and be the type of person that knows what questions to ask, perhaps an AI. That I think is really kind of the differentiator because it's, chat GPT is great. It's, it's kind of cool, but really it's kind of like a, a Google word search, but just in paragraph form, which is you know, gosh, if I had it in college, it'd have been great. But, <laughs> but you do have to ask it the right questions. You have to ask questions the right way. And there's some intelligence behind it that I, I don't think is going to be replaced any 
real soon, but I may be proven wrong by, by that because things are, are changing pretty fast. But I think having a, a wide breadth of, of knowledge about your industry and, and really being able to know it deep enough to ask the right questions, I think is a way to kind of insulate yourself. But we often look at these technologies and we worry and what jobs are we going to lose? We just don't, we can't always see the jobs that are going to be created because of it. And it's too close for us to, to see that, but I can have faith that those jobs will materialize and we'll just take this technology in like we have other technologies. Yeah, I guess a good example of that, and it's been something that's been talked about for a while, and I'm, and I'm guessing there's industries or, or companies, I should say, that are kind of really looking into it is having the automation, driving automation. So truck driving, transport companies having self-driving trucks. And this kind of dovetails into the question I'm, I'm going to get to, but looking forward on economic forecasting, like how far can you look forward? And when you're looking at things like that, can you kind of predict, I mean, it might be hard to predict, but how something, a change in an industry like that would impact the economics of a state or nation? Yeah, no, great question. And, and the, you know, the things that you we've talked about, AI, the impact, you know, it's, it's really hard for us to quantify. So I think when you get beyond you get to forecasting, you know, when it becomes a pervasive technology and, and, and impactful technology, it's kind of hard to see beyond that. But the question is, when is that? You mentioned the, the, the self-driving trucks. We've been talking about that for a long time and it hasn't happened yet. And it always seems to be around the corner. As we all know, those things kind of take more time to really become the norm than, than we might think. I, I still think there's value in, you know, looking at the economy as we understand it with the technologies that we do have now and, and forecasting out. And then, you know, you adopt those, you change those when when the AI tells you it's time to change those. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess I, I wasn't meaning like uh, looking forward and then going, well, we're going to predict that that's going to have an impact. So we'll just say it has an impact now. But I, I guess I was more thinking of like being proactive on, and looking on the horizon and kind of being able to respond to changes as we kind of foresaw them coming. Right. No. Okay. Uh, great point. I think there's, let's talk about, you know, the electric vehicles, you know, we've talked, been talking about that for, for decades. It's starting to come. It's, you know, Ford and GM said by 2035, I think they're going to be a hundred percent. I'll still be kind of surprised if they meet that goal, but that's, that's their stated goal. If that's the case, do we have the infrastructure to, you know, charging station the, the type of infrastructure to, to accommodate that transportation is you know vital for Missouri a key industry for for Missouri what's that going what's that industry going to look like in electrification and what kind of you know infrastructure do we need to make sure that we remain that major conduit for transportation going forward so although it's difficult to kind of see exactly what it's going to be and when it's going to be it does make some sense to put some thought into Okay, let's let's at least explore those things and make sure we're out in front and not caught by surprise when it when it does hit. So it has a negative impact on our economy. It just seems like right now there's so many different, you know, we got to skate to where the puck is going. It seems like there's several pucks on the ice right now. <laughs> it's hard to follow yeah. all of them at the same time. I, I like that you brought up the Ford GM doing the the complete switchover to yeah. electric vehicles because I've kind of thought about this is if the majority of drivers on the street are now driving electric cars. I mean, when you come to the building that we work in, we got some big parking lots here. Does every spot have a charging station now? 
Is it a prerequisite to install that into new homes? What about people who rent? Can they have a charger at the place that they rent? The infrastructure there is kind of mind-boggling when you kind of break it down to the little tiny pits like that. So I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying is where sectors change, new jobs open up. And so I would imagine that would be a big driver of new jobs. So it'd be really interesting how it plays out. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good point. You know, if the market, if Ford and GM think we're going to be, the demand is going to be 100% electric by 2035, well, if the infrastructure isn't there to make it convenient to own an electric vehicle by 2035, that's going to push that horizon out even further because, like you said, there's a lot of big parking lots out there and uh, there aren't that many charging stations. So that's a huge transition. And how is that going to materialize? That's that's something to certainly keep an eye on over the next yeah. several years. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a big re- – like I'm – well, it's kind of getting into personal stuff, but uh, I'm kind of s- – pseudo in the market for a new car. I kind of mm-hmm. like the idea of electric car, mm-hmm. but I rent. I can't install a, a charger unless my, you know, landlord says, hey, cool, dig out part of the wall and install this thing. So for me, charging is not convenient. So I'm like, well, I can't really go that way. So it, it's just interesting how, how yeah. it's got to play out. Well, at, at some point we were in horse carriages and then some people had these uh, automobiles and how did we get the infrastructure for gas stations across the state for, uh, for automobiles? That's a, that'd be another topic we can d- dive into the, yeah. <laughs> the, the first transition we went through in, on transportation. Yeah. We're sitting at a crux <laughs> of change that has not happened before. So we're not sure where it's going to go. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> exactly. Um, kind of pulling it back to economic forecasting that we were talking about earlier. Are we at the mercy of economic direction forecasting, if it's being forecasted that we're veering into a direction that we don't want to go, can we make changes to veer it back? And what is the timeline on those changes? I know you mentioned sometimes it's a long time, but if we foresee like, oh, we're, we're heading in a direction we really don't want to go in and we're for sure we're going to go that way. Can we pull it back before the bad stuff happens? Yeah, I th- I think so. If if there's enough uh, willpower and consensus that we need to go this direction, I think the um, talk about the pandemic again, it's maybe too much, but it's been such an impactful part of our economy. But at the onset of that pandemic, we didn't like where we were headed. We were headed to a place that wasn't very good. And we as a nation decided we're going to do everything we can to minimize the, the impact of this pandemic. And I think most anybody would say we did a good job. I mean, it was the economy was shut down for a period of months and within six months we were almost back to where we were prior and a year later we were fully back essentially so i think most people wouldn't have said we would have been that successful so that to me is an example of us deciding to take a certain economic route to avoid something that was pretty quick and pretty successful inflation right now is one that's on us and it has a terrible impact on the economy. It drains everybody. It's like a, a, a tax on everybody. You can't avoid inflation because it's there every time you go to, to buy something. The method of addressing that is what the Fed does through higher interest rates. I think people would say that's been a little bit annoyingly slow. We have not, we're making progress. We've still got a long way to go. And you know, if you look at the forecast of what the rates are going to be in the, you know, we're probably well into 2024 before we're get that back down to where we want to be. So, you know, essentially two, three years wrestling with this inflation problem. So that one is, an, is our, our tools to do it are a little bit slower and it's taken a little bit more time. 
but knock on wood, it's not going to result us falling into to a recession, and we will have alleviated the, the impact of inflation. When it comes to this economic steering, are there like staples that are kind of go-tos to kind of steer the economy? I know probably inflation is, is something right. that is a go-to, but what are kind of like the core game book, so to speak, of like, okay, here's what we got to do to kind of rein this back or push us in the direction we need to go? Higher interest rates to, do, to deal with inflation. That's kind of the recipe there. A recession is one where this can get uh, political, but in a recession, you generally have the private sector pulling back, the consumer pulling back. And uh, there's a school of thought that's pretty popular that says well, that's when the public sector could step in and, and invest. And then when the economy gets going again, then pull back out and let the private sector take over again. So I think that's really essentially what we did during the, the pandemic and uh, to pretty good success, I think. So those are two that come to mind. Those things are always rife with political discussions and well, what's the right course of action and, and, and this and that. The pandemic was so unique, I think, that it was so un, uncertain. We didn't know what the next six months were going to hold. So everybody was pretty much on board with let's do what we can to try to minimize things. When a uh, recession is on the horizon and it's a little bit more understandable and, and seen, then you get some political discussion. Well, how much how much does it, should the public sector step in and what's too much? And we've already done this. We've already done that. That's where that conversation can happen. And some would say if you talk too much about it, you're not addressing the problem and it doesn't get any better. But, you know, if you do something, you're just adding to maybe the public debt and things like that. So that's, that's up for individuals to decide the, the right course of action there. But uh, those are generally what we do to, to address impending economic uh, troubles. And when it comes to the average citizen, you know, stepping away from what the feds would do or on a state level, is there anything like the general citizen can do? Like if enough people act in a certain way, it would help steer the economy one way or the other? It's difficult to say if, if you are worried about your economic situation going forward. But, you know, I mentioned earlier, two thirds of the economy is is consumption. So going out and being a good citizen by continuing to shop and and, and carry on as you were is a way to keep the economy going. It's when you, when a lot of us pull back, that's when we start to see some big drops and the spiral effect from that. Telling Americans to go out and spend money is not a difficult thing to do. So (laughs) we're we're a consumer economy. So consume, consume. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's difficult to do that when, if someone's, you know, afraid of perhaps of losing their job and they don't have that nest egg to fall back on. So that's when, when, when you have that. And I think in a, in a broader sense, us understanding our economy and, and our industries and understanding what types of jobs are out there that are that are growth jobs. You know, talking about maybe even for younger people or parents with, uh, with younger people, what types of jobs are going to be here in Missouri that are going to drive our economy going forward? I think we went through a period of time where, well, everybody graduates, you go to college, you get a good job, and, and you enter the, the workforce, you know, at a high-paying wage. And we've kind of lost that sense that there are some really good jobs in, in, in manufacturing, the trades, the skilled trades, those jobs are still out there. They're still in high demand. And because of their high demand, they're increasingly higher wages. So understanding the different types of jobs that are available, the broader spectrum of jobs that are available in the state and the ones that are going to help drive our state forward can kind of insulate you as an individual from ups and downs in the economy. If you're providing that skilled job to the workforce, that helps you tremendously. But I think we need to take a broader look and a better understanding of our state's economy so we can help younger people make those, those decisions.
going off of that, given the data available, where do you see Missouri going in? What direction are we heading in when it comes to, you know, economics and, and growth and, and potential and, and all of that? What the future? What does the future look yeah, like? Yeah, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and forecast here a little bit. I'm very bullish, and again, I go back to that manufacturing thing. I'm, I'm, I'm I harp on that a lot, but it's really we're really far outpacing the, the nation in terms of manufacturing employment growth, and the timing of that is right because we're investing as a nation in our manufacturing base. And I think it's a it's pervasive throughout the state. That's one thing I like like about it. Manufacturing is, is virtually everywhere. So th- that's going to provide a good foundation for us uh, going forward. And again, I think Missouri's greatest economic strength is its diversity. I mean, there uh, there's not an industry that doesn't thrive in some part or another of, of, of this state. And if you're looking, no matter what industry you're in, Missouri has a lot to offer. Now, not every state can can say that. And I think that benefits us from, okay, if this, if one sector is not maybe, maybe doing quite as well, this other sector is probably made up, you know, made up the, the slack. And that's pretty typical for us. Now we don't have those really high highs. You know, we've got a neighboring state in Oklahoma that's very dependent on oil. So their economy may soar one year because of oil and it may crash the, the following year again, because of that one particular industry. We don't do that here. We kind of run the, the middle ground. And I think economic diversity is a real strength of ours. I see good things ahead because of that diversity. Okay, market here. We're going in a great direction. We're going to end <laughs> in positive. I think we've covered a lot of ground here, Jeff. I'll just open the floor to you. Anything that we didn't cover that you think people might want to know? I think we did cover a, a lot of material here. So uh, we'll, we'll leave the rest for the next one. All right. <laughs> I don't think I said this at top, but we're planning on doing these on a quarterly basis with Jeff. So hopefully when you come back for the next uh, episode and the next three, four months, we have continued positive stuff to talk about. <laughs> Jeff, thanks. if not, you won't have me back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for coming on and giving us all this great information. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Eco Devo. We have great episodes coming your way every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe. Also, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Tell us what economic development topics you want to hear more about. This helps us fulfill our motto of helping Missourians prosper by bringing content to our listeners that they want to hear. Leave a comment on an episode or send an email to ded.communications at ded.mo.gov and stay tuned for more Inside EcoDevo.